Welcome along to the Wise Men Say Preview podcast. Today we're looking forward to the final home game of the season against Portsmouth. In the studio with myself, Frankie Francis, tonight is Matthew Keeling. Hello, Matthew. Hello. And Andrew Hurd as well. Hello. Hello. Andrew. How are you doing? I'm, I'm very well, thanks. Andrew, this is your first time on Wise Men Say. It you, is, yeah. You are, you are involved with the Red and White Army as well, aren't you? Yeah, I'm chair of the Red and White Army. So for people, listeners who don't know what the Red and White Army is, or supporters that don't know, know who's behind the Red and White Army. Give us a quick idea of what it's all about and why it was set up. So Red and White Army was set up um, just after the relegation from the Premier League. Um, What we were looking to do was increase dialogue between supporters and the football club. Um, There's a a bit of legislation from the Department of Culture, Media and Sport, not trying to bore people too much, um, but football clubs are required to to engage with their fan base or uh, elected fan membership groups um, a few times a season. And with Sunderland, there wasn't really that message that was getting out. So being relegated from the Premier League, um, we were told that we're going to be informed of Vela Short's plans, things like that. Nothing came to fruition. Martin Bain wasn't really getting a message out. So as as an organisation, a few of us got together, um, got in touch with Football Sports Federation. A guy called Dave Rose, who's our vice chair, uh, he's he's the deputy chief executive of the Football Sports Federation, so he knows how these um, fan organisations work throughout the country. That's his day job, it's bread and butter. Um, So what we did, we got a few people together, we got the fanzines on board, um, and we tried to set up an organisation that was as representative of our fan base as it possibly could be. Um, And what we did, we approached the club, um, had many, many frustrating meetings with Martin Bain, trying to open the club up, get them into dialogue, and eventually it happens where we got supporters groups sat around the table so fans could pass their questions, queries or concerns through their co-opted representative, be it a, a fanzine or be it one of the other representatives, and we can actually go to the club and say to them, look, these are fans' concerns, please can you address them? And it's in a formal setting. So the main aim when we set up was to get dialogue going backwards and forwards between the fans and the club. Was that mainly because of how frustrating it was being a Sunderland fan at the time and maybe there was a lot of frustrations and uh, anger almost directed at the, the powers that be at the time? I think well, Red and White Army was going to be set up regardless, whether okay. in the Premier League, Championship, League One, whatever. Um, it's something that other clubs do very, very well okay. and it's something at Sunderland where you could say the club was putting man hours into engaging with supporters but that message wasn't then reaching a wider audience as it could be Mm -hmm. so we red and white army we thought right let's get the message out let's get a clear message out from the club in terms of what's happening and it just so happened that the club was in a massive state of turmoil yeah a lot of supporters were asking a lot of pertinent sensible questions in terms of the direction the club was going in and red and white army was essentially the mechanism to get that message out to the wider audience so what kind of things were you initially approaching the likes of martin bain and asking him then and what kind of responses were you getting well initially getting a foot in the door with the club proved to be pretty difficult um the the previous ownership especially the hierarchy where they'd worked previously there was a bit of um i say that they weren't necessarily um sort of engaging with supporter groups Mm -hmm. um glasgow rangers for example had that many different supporter groups um they didn't know which one to liaise or engage with are they going to waste the time so when red and white army came to the table they wanted to find out from us what was it that we could do slightly differently to you know their experiences at rangers yeah um so once we'd got them on side with that the key questions that were coming from from our members were What's the direction the club's going in? Mm. Financially, what was the situation? And to be fair to Martin Bain, you know, when we did ask those questions in a formal setting, 
he gave honest and clear answers. They weren't necessarily the answers that Sunderland supporters wanted to hear, but he told us that, yep, the club was in a hell of a situation and Ellis Short was very reluctant to put any more money in other than keeping the club afloat. So, yes, it wasn't the message that we wanted to hear, but at least it was a clear message that was getting out to our supporter base. So we've got this new ownership now, obviously, this yeah. their first season, almost at the end of their first season. What's the engagement been like with the... The new, you know, new it's, it's complete polar opposite. So Stuart Donald, Charlie Methven, Juan Sartori, the guys who are on board now, um, they actively want to get involved in talking to supporters, getting the message out there, which is good from a red and white army perspective because it frees us up to look at other initiatives and yeah. and help the supporter experience, improve the atmosphere. Um, so what we did um, just after the takeover had happened, um, myself and a couple of the other representatives um, had a chat with Charlie Methven and. Charlie, he set up the Oxford United version of Red and White Army. Okay. He set up the Yellow Army, so he knows exactly where we were coming from, what we were looking to get. And having somebody like that on board in the boardroom um, is great for us because they've been there, they've done it, albeit at Oxford, yeah. but they know when we ask a question, it's not, it's not going to be something silly, it's going to be something that really means something to supporters. So having the likes of Charlie and Stuart on board is fantastic. And you've got a constant discourse with them, haven't you? And maybe the first thing the fans may have noticed is the visual impact you've had on the stadium. In recent weeks, you've had the, the mural yeah. unveiled. Uh, that was around Christmas time, wasn't it? Uh, January, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, in the last couple of weeks, you've had this huge flag display. You guys are behind that as well, aren't you? We well, are, the supporters yeah. are behind it, but you've, you know made it happen you're the conduit for it so just to give you a bit of background on that one um, start of the season we put out a fan survey uh, we had over 13,000 responses in terms of how to improve overall match day experience Mm -hmm. ranging from the price of a pie and a pint through to creating an identity in the ground Mm -hmm. Um, first thing we did um, South Stand became the Rock Rend we wanted to get a real sense of identity and the Rock Rend was the overriding winner on that one Um, a lot of supporters Geographically, it's not in Roker, but people wanted that link back to the past. Mm. They wanted that link back to the Roker Raw and the heritage. Um, so first thing we did, changing the name of the stand. Um, second thing we did was the captain's mural yeah. that you can see in the Roker end. Um, that, again, was paid for on the whole by Sunland supporters. Um, we also had the fans for diversity chipped in with a bit of money as well. Mm. Um, on the back of that, you know, identity culture that's what we really wanted because stadium of light is a fantastic football ground but if you took the badge off the seats you could be in middlesbrough derby similar grounds from a similar sort of area era so what we wanted was this is our home and the rock rent is our home and let's create an atmosphere let's create an identity and we didn't want something that is replicated um with other clubs Mm -hmm. this has to be an identity that is unique to us Mm -hmm. so the flag display, yep. most recent initiative, um, that was crowdfunded. We raised over £10,000 um, from Sunland supporters. Um, in terms of the flags, the designs were done by Sunland supporters. Yep. And the flags are made at WH Foster, who's in Sunderland. The, in Sunderland, on the banks of the way next to the new bridge. They're massive Sunland supporters as well. So you've got a real good narrative there that, you know, designed by Sunland supporters, paid for by Sunland supporters, made by Sunland supporters. Yeah. And, you know, We've seen the Coventry game look fantastic. Doncaster game, the atmosphere was really good at that game. Yeah. And, you know, it's been executed fantastically by Sunderland supporters as well. Yeah, Matthew, you're obviously a Sunderland supporter. And do you think that the... Firstly, do you think do you think there was a need for the Red and White Army to exist as a body? Oh, definitely. Like, 
purely for communication, like you say, like a lot of people found like information sort of dribbled through a different. You'd hear something off of someone who told you something in the pub who was at a meeting last week with like whoever the spokesman at the time was. So I think yeah, like every everybody now knows exactly what's going on with with the club from top to bottom. Really, they're very open, and like Red and White Army's obviously played a massive part. And what part of, of that? And what what do you think about the displays of the flags in, in recent weeks? Do you think it's added to the atmosphere? It certainly helped. I really like the um, the the old um, clock stand work on the on the stand. Oh as yeah, well. the Archibald. The lattice work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you so, want to speak about that, Andrew? Yeah. So the lattice work again, building an identity. Um, we spoke to the club quite early on in Red and White Army days in terms of trying to get the the original lattice work from Roker Park that's in the car park. I was going to say there's yeah. some in the car park. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's lost. It's tucked away in the car park. Mm. Um, we're like, right, let's try and get that relocated to inside the stadium or mm. just outside. Um, the logistics and cost behind it meant that it wasn't that feasible to do. Yeah. So the next best thing was let's try and recreate a bit of that lattice work and again focus on our home end. Yeah. Um, and again give that link back to Roker, the the identity. And just sort of make a again identikit ground look a bit more like home. I think in a couple of weeks it's completely transformed the stadium almost. You know because you've got this whole visual display of the flags. You've got the, the not just the last work but some old badges on display as well on yep. the in the Roker end. It's made a massive difference already, hasn't it? Matthew? Yeah, it has. I like the 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 old badge being used as well. I think a lot of fans are, are really happy about that. Obviously the the new badge great, but I think it again links back to Roker part. It links back to the old. The old days of the club, and I think it, it has helped the atmosphere. The flags against the Doncaster, against Doncaster, where they just sort of spontaneously came back at the end of the, of the second half. Whether that was something that was particularly planned, I, I don't know. I don't sit in the in that end, but it's, I thought it, it looked it's great. Something, it's something that we're we're looking at. Um, a lot of this is trial and error. You know, we we haven't done this before. Yeah. Um, we've got, had two games. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah we, we we've had two games, so it's not going to run like clockwork. Mm. Um, there will be a bit of refinement. Um, I've got to say, you know, we've got a fantastic group of volunteers. So, so, so you just went out on social media or something and said yep. we need some help with the flags. I don't know how many flags you got overall, hundred or something, eighty to hundred or something. Oh, there's, there's over hundred flags, yeah. And you need someone, a group of people, to hand out pretty much everyone and, and fly everyone. Yeah. So it started off. There were a group of lads who were in the Roker end, and yeah. they, they've said for a long time um, they want to get the atmosphere going. So. One lad in particular came up with the Luke 09 song. Yeah. Um, so he saw Luke the other night at the Play of the Year Awards. Was he more excited than Matthew when he met <laughs> Max Power the other no, night? No, it would have been physically no. impossible. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get on to that, Ballad. You know, the, the lad in question, um, he, he nearly burst with excitement, but it wasn't on the Matthew Keeling level with Max <laughs> Power. Um, but it, it's one of those where a group of lads came to us and said, you know, you guys can be the mechanism to, to get this going. Um, they, they've toyed with the idea, they've tried bringing their own flags, but it needed, so, uh, let's say, an organisation with a bit, bit of momentum to execute it. Um, so, yeah, we have we put a message out on social media saying, look, can you guys help? Yeah. And we've had a guy from Florida came over for the Coventry game. Um, it's a long way to come to fly a flag. It is. Well, he might have been watching the football as well. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. You know, he, he lent a hand, he, you know, while yeah, say, yeah, it's good. guy from Florida came over, lent a hand. Um, we had uh, a couple of people from Madrid, Helps the Doncaster game. Brilliant. So it's you know it's it's making fans feel um, part of something bigger as well. Yeah. You know Charlie talks about you know they're the custodians of the club and but essentially we're all part of one club. Mm. And 
initiatives like what we're trying to do, Red and White Army, make people feel part of the club as well. Yeah. So, you know, we're looking for volunteers every home game. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone would like to help out. How can they do that? Drop us a line on um, Twitter, mm-hmm. um, Red and White Army 2017. Um, we're on Facebook as well. Or our email address is info at redandwhitearmy.co.uk. Cool. Sounds good to me. Right. We're going to focus now on the... Uh on the league, we've had a couple of podcasts since the, the weekend's result. Uh, I've given you copies of the actual league in front of you. I've done a bit of preparation yeah. work for you there. Um, we're, it's it's a it's a huge game on Saturday. It is out of our hands, but still not impossible that we could get an automatic place. Matthew, uh, very disappointing at the weekend to concede that late goal. Um, and is, you know, essentially out of our hands. But... We need a favour from someone. Where do you see it coming from? Blackpool. It's um, at Barnsley. Barnsley yeah. yeah, I think they can't get in the playoffs, but they've been reinvigorated recently um, off the field as well. They've had there obviously, is a real feel good factor. Yeah, Blackpool, they, 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 yeah. yeah they, obviously they're away, which is tricky. I'm just looking at the table now. We've had 18 draws. Blackpool have drawn 17 games, so obviously difficult to beat. Are they and, trying to beat us in the draw well, up here? <laughs> If I'm more than happy for them to get another one on uh, on Saturday because if they can get a draw at Barnsley and we can beat Portsmouth, everyone's like over the sun again, aren't they? But I think that's the one. I, I don't. I've, I think Barnsley are away at Bristol Rovers last game. That could be tricky if they need to stay up. But I don't. I don't think they're in any huge relegation danger. So I, mm. it's it's um it's Blackpool for me if there's a if there's going to be a. Can you see the uh, the teams around us winning every game till the end of the season? Well, the, the, the couple that remain. And Well, you look at Portsmouth, they've been on a fantastic run. They've been playing particularly well, but mm. they've been grinding out results. Um, yeah. You look at the Coventry game, Coventry were the better team, um, but Pompey managed to pull it out of the bag. Same when they played Burton as well. So I think, you know, we've got to be on our game at the weekend. And in some respects, the pressure might be off us slightly oh. and on Portsmouth. Well, and... And Barnsley as well, because it's the first time for ages. Well, it's pretty much the first time it hasn't been in our hands. Yeah. I was talking to <laughs> my new best mate, Max Power, yeah, yeah, yeah. on on uh, Tuesday night, and he was saying it'd be interesting. Obviously, the pre- the pressures now is Barnsley's like it's theirs, like it's theirs to, to lose. lose yeah. So he's, it'd be interesting to to see how they react and how I they think can they've, handle it. They've been ropey since they have. I mean, you know, well, since they lost Kiefer Moore, that Walsall game gives me nightmares. Their last-minute winner at yeah. Walsall's horrendous, man. I know, it's one of those things, isn't it? But anyway, we, we could still end up on 93 points, which is a huge toll, and everyone's obviously talking about the Premier League at the minute, and you know Liverpool could essentially not win the league with a, a similar points toll, but to, to not go up with 93 points would be very disappointing, wouldn't it, Matthew? It would. It would be just like us, though, really, wouldn't it, when we finished third <laughs> in 1998? How, how big of a mental challenge do you think it is to get over and... Beat, you know, if we win the, the three games, you'd say you know it you'd give us something to to fight for as we as we go through the final fixtures, uh, Andrew. But how big of a mental hurdle is, is Saturday's game? Do you think for the players? I think you, in terms of you know, because it's Portsmouth, you know, and the you know the, the the history, recent history we've had with them. You know, we're on home turf, decent atmosphere. I know Portsmouth are going to bring a lot of fans up, but. They haven't been playing particularly well. Mm. If we're on our game at the weekend, you know, I'd like to think we could get a, a really good result. Um, I think the pressure's off us. The pressure will be on them. Um, so looking at it, I think if we, you know, if we don't go up automatically, I'd like to think if we beat Portsmouth, 
we beat Fleetwood and Southend, we'll have a bit of momentum going into the playoffs, mm. and it'll, it'll set us on a good footing. Um, ideally, I want to go up second. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's no no beating around the bush about that. I want to see us go up automatically. But if we do end up in the playoffs, I think get some momentum up and see what happens. Uh, Luton drawn again the other. That's, that's surely that won't happen, Matthew. No, I, I think they're pretty much. What is it? They're pretty much clear, to be yeah. honest. I can't see them not going up. So, so we the the conversation inevitably uh, inevitably ends up uh, about the playoffs. Um, who do you want to play if it goes to that? Then, Doncaster. I don't want to have a Charlton final. Put it that way. It'll bring back nightmares from '98. It'd be great for a TV series, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. If we played Charlton <laughs> in the final and beat them 21 years later, or however. however I think we were going to say 21 nil there. I, was just... I mean, I'd, I'd take, say, I'd, I'd take 21 nil. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's it's looking more likely that it's going to be playoffs. With that in mind, say we get beat at the weekend and we're resigned to the playoffs. Uh, there's a conversation started, I think, over the last couple of days. Do you then rest the likes of McGeady, who we found out over the last couple of days, has been playing with a broken foot? Do you rest all the big guns and keep them? Or do you try and keep momentum? Do you think that's important, Andrew? I'd, I'd go for momentum. Um, you know, players are playing through the pain barrier at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, is it McGeady's got a broken foot? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how he's doing it, but he's he's still performing at a, a very good level with that injury. Um you see a lot of teams sneak into the playoffs because mm. they've had a really good run and they're the ones who usually end up at the finals. Yeah. So I'd like to think if we had a bit of momentum behind us, keeping that positive mentality, keeping that winning mentality, it would put us in a good stead if yeah. we did end up playing the likes of Charlton. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a bit of a strange one throwing a curveball at you. If, if Portsmouth beat us at the weekend and catch Barnsley, I wouldn't mind playing them in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah. I would take Barnsley in the playoffs. Because, yeah. Yeah. you know, we... We looked good against them at home, certainly, and away. You know, we were. It was was that the really windy night? Yeah, yeah. And you know, we came away. Well, we could have nicked that. that as well. Yeah. To, to be fair, so you, your best mate had a good opportunity. In that he game. did. He did. Yeah. Well. But yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll turn away from uh, the league for a second and speak about the Player of the Year awards. We saw Luke O'Nine picked up young player at the tender yeah, age of the... 24. <laughs> even, even he was surprised by yeah. that, to be fair. Uh, and uh, Ed McGeady getting uh, senior player of the year. Uh, I mean, with McGeady, probably you'd think that was... McGeady's been an outstanding player yeah. this season. Um, having endured the goalkeepers from last season, um, John McLaughlin's been a breath of fresh air. Yeah, um, He's single-handedly won us a lot of points this season yeah. so I would have liked to have thought if he if McGeady wasn't going to win it I'd like to think McLaughlin would have been a close second Yeah. Um, you know there's other notable mentions as well like Lee Catamull, Um personally speaking back end of last season I, I, I thought his legs had gone mm. um, I couldn't really see him performing particularly well in the Sunderland kit again and you, you see him this season and he's bossing the midfield when he's playing so yeah. there are a few players where you look at them you're thinking yeah, he could have been in with a shout, but McGeady's been a standout player this season. Uh, best young player, Luke O'Nine, uh, play, played the, the majority of the season at right back, Matthew. Yeah. Not his position. It's commendable, really. It, it is, like, considering never, usually when players play out of position, they've they've played there before, like, in an emergency. I don't think he'd ever played there before, so it really is a pretty good achievement for uh, him. And you got to meet Max Power. Which and I got to meet Max Power, which was... What was, the, what was the, the vibe like in the room? Was everyone yeah. excited? When the, the players happy to... Could you tell they were, you know, obviously in recent years, that, that was, must have been such a chore for the, the players. I think pretty much Joshua picked up for the last few yeah, years. Well, yeah. It? it was... um No, it was a... It was a, like... It was quite a feel-good 
Like, not really. They were obviously gutted about they were, everyone I spoke to. They were devastated about that late, late equaliser of Peterborough. Um, because that, I think the feeling was that sort of, that goal there, if we'd have won that in the last minute, carries you through, gets you promoted, that goal. It, mm. It's like, because if everyone else, when, when that goal went in, all the other teams will have gone, ah, oh, yeah, they've they've nicked it. That's going to push them over the line, and then to concede. So, other than that, though, they were more than happy to be there. They were spent a good hour um, talking to everyone. I had a, a good conversation with Jack Baldwin, who was more than happy to just sit and talk about football for as long as as long as anyone wanted to, really. And I think credit to them, really, because the 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 will have been gutted about that, and obviously people tend to react very impulsively on certain platforms. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it was a, it was a really good night. Yeah, cracking night, and I've I've got to say, you know, the the BLC branch liaison council they set this player of the year award up mm. each year, and they, they do a fantastic job. Yeah, um, it was a cracking night, and as Matthew said, each one of the players actually seemed like genuine that they wanted to be there as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, they had plenty of time for everybody, signing autographs, chatting away. It, it was nice to see. Yeah. Um, again, it's that club mentality. Yeah. Everyone felt part of the same club there. It was, it was really good night. Good, good. Right. We'll turn our attention again to Portsmouth. We're going to hear the press conference now, uh, which Jack Ross did today, Thursday. Uh, we're going to hear from Sun FM's Tom Hill and BBC's Nick Barnes. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something that I think for us, I've always felt as if going into this last week of the season, we would probably be needing to or aiming to win the three games. Um, now the truth is that would have been the case but the only difference is obviously even if we do that it might not still be enough now I think you only think about that if you get to the, the end of the third one and you've you've won the three and it hasn't been enough I think at the moment it is just making sure we win these games starting on Saturday um, you know the, the the teams that have been at the top of the table that have had remarkable seasons has meant that there's been so many changes in who has looked to be the favourites and even now we look at you know, if you look at Luton recently and so how, how hard that is to get to that point where it's, it's done. So, um, yeah, the players, once they came back on, on Tuesday, spoke to a lot of them individually, felt as if they were they were OK. And then this week again, they've, they've changed well again today. I think they understand the significance of Saturday's game, but they're, they're looking forward. I certainly don't sense any trepidation or, or I don't sense them being down in any way ahead of the game. Uh, we've spoken a couple of times this season about in Scotland, of course, you play teams four times. Mm. Well, bizarrely, you played Portsmouth twice already. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that works in your your favour, in a sense. Um, I think for I think for both sides, there's a bit more familiarity around um, opponents individually, and then, then as a team. Um, and certainly for us, it just tweaked a little bit what we did analysis wise. We looked a good bit at the cup final because it was obviously not that long ago, and. Um, even from a coaching point of view, we had such big spells in the game who were really good, and then spells where Portsmouth were really good. So it's enabled us to kind of break them down and and look at um, the two parts of it and how we take the good parts in the weekend and how we we get better at the bits we didn't do so well. So and I'm sure Kenny will be the same. Yeah, you know, it's unusual to have that um, to play another opponent if you like so quickly in this league. I mean, when you look at the two games that you've played, there's very little between you. I mean, you mm-hmm. take the game at Fratton Park. Okay, it ended three one, but I think everyone will concede you you were probably the team on top going yeah. in at half time it's the sending off that changed that game and we know what happened at Wembley and yeah. in the end it's, it's one penalty there's a difference between the two of you yeah I, I, I think there is very little between the teams I think they have different strengths and different qualities but good individual players on both sides and if you look at the league records this season and where the two teams are at points wise it just emphasises that again you know I think to get to 43 games in the season and be so close together means that 
only just shows that there is little between the sides. So again, Saturday will be that type of occasion. Um, both teams need to win. You know, which is which is um, an interesting dynamic as well. I mean, I know both teams are always going to a game to win it, but the truth is, on both sides, they understand the significance of uh, uh, winning the game or rather not winning the game, if you like. There is that danger, of course, you can cancel each other out. I mean, mm. both you and Peterborough, I think, had the, that that mentality. You had to win the game. Mm. Both of you had to win the game, and it ends a draw. That that is the danger, isn't it? Because you do have to win it. Yeah, and then you know, it's an interesting dynamic when you see it because we. Um, you know, we obviously, um, you looking back at Monday's game, it's ironic after Monday because I thought it was one of the better away performances this season. Um, but when you go ahead, you know, the fact that I'm not saying teams wouldn't be pressing to come back in it, but they obviously were desperate to win the game as well because I think it showed in the, I think in the five minutes that were still played after the equalising goal, it was, you know, there was chances at both ends in that period as well. So I would expect Saturday to be the same. You know, it's got it's going to have that feel around it because the, the two teams know the the margin for um for change if you like if the, if the game was drawn is 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 unlikely that they can go and affect anything after that and there's going to be a good atmosphere it's going to be a full stadium pretty much uh, that dynamic has got to be important as well it's you'd hope that it works in your favour yeah I I think that uh, in fairness to the players I think they've handled playing at home this season um in different circumstances at times so we've the support this season and the numbers has been great and I think by and large how they've backed the players but we've had a couple of occasions where you know we've, we've, there's been a little bit of uneasiness and they've coped with that as well and then you look back at the last um, couple of home games even country despite the way the game went I thought supporters were good and I thought they were terrific against Doncaster and we're going to need that again on Saturday I think we've put said about so much into the season you know 55 games or something into the season we um, we don't know not want to turn up if you like together on Saturday so my job to make sure the players turn up, supporters turn up, and and I think collectively we've got to have a very good go at it on Saturday. Do you, do you think, as a result of Monday's game, there there's been a shift in one sense in in the approach mentally because it has, because it, because that has changed the landscape for the last week of the season. Whereas beforehand you've always been this positive: if we win this, we'll be in this position. We can still now that that's not the case. Is it? it it's it's, it's a, it seems in one sense to be a very insignificant small thing but on the other side of it it could be quite a big change yeah I, th- I don't think for us internally I think the good thing is that players have known I'm consistent with how I speak to them and the messages I give them um, and we don't really try and tell them things that aren't the truth so they know that you're not daft they know that it's out with their hands now but also they know that you know three wins and it gives them a really good chance still as well so I think that the you know the, the, the external side of it we can never control and it I've said it often enough this season that we are a little bit too up and down at times in terms of um, the range of emotions that happens on a weekly or twice weekly basis but that just goes with the territory and say that um, we're still in a position where we can we can have um, achieve what we want this season and, and that's what we're focusing on at the moment you know anything else will take care of itself at the moment it's just really about being prepared properly for Saturday and going to win that game Are you, are you fairly pragmatic about Barnsley and, and Charlton and their games the weekend in the sense that look, if you're realistic and you look at both of those you, t- you you probably assume they will both win. Um, no, I, I, not really. Just simply because I, you know if you look at um, Tuesday night, you know Luton, who've had an, an unbelievable season, incredible season at Kenilworth Road, and and play Wimbledon, who are in the bottom four, and draw the game. Um, so that it shows I've watched them. Um, you know I pay attention to other leagues, and if you look at the top of the championship, for example, with it, it, it's 
you know, pressure and, and decision making under pressure, etc. can all change in that period. And the teams, ultimately, the two teams that, that finished in the top two have deserved it because they'll have dealt with not just the, the challenges we can, but this last part of the season as well. So I, I genuinely don't look too much at the opponent because I think it can, um, I think sometimes you can expect the result, them to drop points and they don't, and vice versa. We mentioned that final with Portsmouth because both teams need to win. Do you think it's going to have that carry that similar edge at the stadium right on Saturday? Uh, I would think so because of the, the two big clubs, they'll bring a big support. Um, we'll have big support. I think the fact that we've played each other so recently and how competitive that game was, obviously we're sore from coming out on the wrong side of the scoreline. So the, you know, there'll be a lot of things that players want to put out individually and as a team and it'll have that I think in a good way because I don't think any of the two games this season have had an edge in a, in a bad way but I think there's been a real competitive nature to both games and given everything that's at stake on Saturday as well I would think it'd be much of the same. Do you love anime, gaming, movies and discovering how your favourite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, our thanks to BBC's Nick Barnes and Tom Hale from Sun FM for letting us use that audio of the press conference which took place today ahead of Sunderland's game at home at the weekend, the final home game of the season against Portsmouth. Uh, some other bits of news out of Sunderland today. Uh, Andrew, uh, we have Denver Hume signed a two-year deal and he wasn't named best young player but sure, certainly could have been on a shortlist in the, the few times we've seen him this season. Yeah, if, if he hadn't picked up the injury early yeah. on... Um, I think he would have been a genuine contender for player of the or young player of the season. Mm. Um, having a left back who can defend and attack as well as he does, um, you know, it's fantastic. So he's, he's a very good prospect, um, and you'll probably see him being a, a starter next season. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I think he would have ended up playing right back. Well, we've said about, we've said yeah. this on the on the on the, the the podcast before that you know people have the arguments about oh nine still playing there, and you said, could say you know Hume could do a job there, but. Yeah, you know, he's, we are, we are. he's very one-footed. 
I don't want to get into But he cuts yeah, no, no, He does no, like no. cutting inside. He loves running into grass as yeah. well, which is great to see. And, and obviously, he can defend as well. But anyway, a two year deal. It's, it's good to see that the academy players are getting you know tied down to those contracts because I've seen with you know famously Magic this season. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we don't want that to happen again. Still a few to round up though. Yeah. Elliot Embleton. Yeah. He, he's probably the next one I'd, I want to see tied down. He's yeah. uh, he's had a cracking season at Grimsby before mm. his injury. Um, yes, it's the league below, but somebody of his age getting league experience and performing very well. You know, again, he's a prospect who could do a job for us in the near future. Below nine was playing in League Two last season, yeah. money. So. Yeah, and you know, look at him, twenty-four and flying. Yeah. <laughs> right, uh, there was a bit of news. There was, there was a bit, a bit of financial news came out the the club today that Ellis Short, uh, I think debts have finally kind of like been rounded up to a point, uh, so the the Ellis Short era is officially over. I guess. Uh, you happy about that, Andrew? Um, Yes, uh, at least our owners now don't have that sort of lingering in the background that mm. Ellis Short might call in debts or, or whatever. Um, to be fair, Ellis Short, he did write off a lot of debt. And he was at Wembley. And he was at Wembley, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think cutting the ties now with him, I, th- I think you know we can only look, look positively going forwards under the new, well, say new ownership. They've been here nearly a year now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but um, they've done a fantastic job so far and long may continue. Happy with that situation, Matthew? Yeah, I think like, obviously the, the owners have been like fantastic, and obviously to get to get that, not that it was like hanging around them, but it's obviously going to be a bit of a bit of a fresh start. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think this? The, do you think the league we're in next year? Do you think there's that's going to affect our relationship with the owners? Do you think if we remain in League One? Uh, say, I'm just talking, you know, doomsday scenario here. So we don't go, we don't get automatic, we don't go up through the playoffs. Yep. Do you think the fans are generally going to be as warm to the new ownership as they have been? I think someone's going to take. The, it could be the manager. Someone's going to well, take the fall for it. I think. Yeah, first ten games of next season are going to be very important. Doesn't matter what league we're going to be in. Mm. Um, if we end up in League One, you know, if we're not sort of top six after the first ten games next season, then yeah. Questions will be asked, mm. be it of the manager, be it of the owners. Um, but I think, you know, looking at where we've come from in the last 12 months, you know, new owners, new manager, new backroom staff, massive turnover in players. Mm. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that gives them a, a, a bit of a pass to, to avoid criticism, but there's been a massive transition in a very short period of time. Yeah. Um, so let's see what Jack Ross is like with a, another summer transfer, a, a full summer transfer window. Mm. Um, and see what happens at the start of next season. Because there was a lot of reaction after the you know, really deflating lick uh, equaliser at the weekend, Matthew, on social media. And yeah. Jack Ross's name you know, came up again quite a lot in conversation between Sunderland fans. Do you think it would be reactionary to do anything at the end of the season, regardless of our situation? Yeah, because I think he was saying the other night they set themselves a, a target a points target at the beginning of the season. I'm not sure what it was. I don't know if it might have been 90 points. And mm. um, But he was saying that the other night. And the fact that we could hit that and not get promoted, it's more of an indication of Luton have had a ridiculous season, really, because mm-hmm. they, like, they could get 97 points, which is like a, a pretty good effort, to be yeah. fair, considering they've come from League Two. Yeah. Um, so I think if we if we win the next few games and don't go up, I think that's just unlucky, really. Obviously, it's we've got our we we've got ourselves to blame because of we're, we're draws along. Yeah, games, that's yeah. basically it. But do you, what do you put the draws down to, though, Andrew? Um, 
multiple factors. You know, we've had injuries, we've had suspensions. Sendings off. Yeah, sendings off. You know, Peter at home, Oviedo got sent off for just kicking out at somebody. Yeah. You know, not not singling out players by any any means, but you know, there's been certain individual factors mm. that have caused a lot of these draws. Um, I think as well, a lot of teams when they play Sunderland, they they set up, they'll they'll try and hit you very hard first sort of ten fifteen minutes. Yeah. They might go a goal up and then they'll just sit back. And ultimately, it's up to us to try and break them down. But, you know, when you've got 10 players sat behind the ball, sometimes it's hard to do that, especially yeah. if we've got injuries as well. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of teams want to beat Sunderland. And mm. I'm, not, I'm not saying that, you know, we're, we're a massive club and I'm not being disrespectful to other clubs, but they go hell for leather the first 20 minutes to try and make a goal and then just sit back and, and defend. It's a nightmare when they get one. Because yeah. like, like Walsall at home, I know we beat them. They scored after like I don't know, ninety seconds or something, and it was like, oh no! They're, like literally, they're just going to park every person behind the ball. So and now we've got to break them down. Home game as but, well. Yeah. yeah. But how do we approach the game on Saturday then? Do we go out from the blocks? You know, like we did against uh, Doncaster the last game at home. Do we? Do we? You know, because we. Kn- you know, we know how good well, this Portsmouth side can be. You know, yeah, because we did that in the play, in, not the playoff final. Well, we've almost the, got nothing to lose, but so just attack. Yeah, well, we did it in the in the Czech trade final and tore them apart for forty five minutes. Yeah. We just couldn't get this. If we'd gone in there two 0 up, yeah. I genuinely think we'd have beat them three or four nil. Yeah, like so, I think play the same way. They get they're an open side. I watched them watch the second half against Coventry. I know they were chasing the game, but they leave a lot. A well, lot. McGeady exploited that at Wembley, didn't he? A lot at the time. Yeah, he was unplayable. But, but, yeah, first half. Well, Coventry did on like the Coventry did exactly the same as he did to us, but just didn't score. Yeah, play, play the ball in the flanks behind their fullbacks. You know, Morgan and McGeady had a had a field day in that first half of yeah. the Czech Trade final. You know, if if we take an approach like that, I think you know we've got a very good chance of winning the game. Right. Okay. With that in mind, it's time for predictions. Uh, Matthew, we'll start with you. Um, I think it'll be a really open. End to end game, both teams will go for it. Um, I think we'll win though. Three two. Three two. Andrew, what you say? Uh, two one. I think. Two one win. Good, good, good. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope we see a, a win at the last home game of the season. We hope the last home game Hopefully. Of, the, of, the, of the season. Uh, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, just a reminder, the Terry Butcher specials are available now, parts one and two to download. Uh, and the the normal procedure will be Stephen and Gareth, I imagine, on Monday evening. So thanks for listening. See you soon. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.